Welcome to Coach House Talks. So Pentecost has become synonymous with the beginning of the church. The word Pentecost is derived from the Greek meaning, or the Greek word which means 50th. Now we'd be familiar with the word pente, P-E-N-T-E, from words such as the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible or the Torah. So pente already is in our English language meaning five and so Pentecost means 50. So we're counting 50th is what it means. And traditionally, we celebrate Pentecost on the seventh Sunday after the resurrection of Jesus. So that will be 49 days, generally because it's the nearest Sunday to the actual day. Now, the instructions given to God can be found, well, given by God to his people can be found in Leviticus 15. Also in Deuteronomy 16 and various bits. So you have to piece some of it together. But here, Pentecost is given its Hebrew title. It wasn't known as Pentecost back then. Pentecost is a more modern uh, Greek uh, literation of it. It's given its Hebrew title, the Festival of Harvest, and is designated for the people to celebrate God's blessing to them. So in other words, here's one of the feasts, and it's designed for you to think about the blessings that I have given to you, says God. Let's have a look at that in Deuteronomy 16, verses 9 to 12. These are the instructions that God gave to these people. Count off seven weeks from when you first begin to cut the grain at the time of harvest. Then celebrate the festival of harvest to honor the Lord your God. Now, if you look in uh, Leviticus 15, you'll find that what that says is count out seven weeks and then on the next day, the 50th day. Okay, so it's then. Celebrate the festival of harvest to honor the Lord your God. Bring him a voluntary offering in proportion to the blessings you have received from him. This is a time to celebrate before the Lord your God at the designated place of worship he will choose for his name to be honored. Celebrate with your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites from your towns and the foreigners, orphans and widows who live among you. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, so be careful to obey all of these decrees. Okay? See how all-encompassing that is? It's quite amazing when you read that. You think, well, this is an instruction to God's people, his chosen people, and yet this, along with quite a few of the festivals, encompasses this huge group of people, foreigners, orphans, widows who live amongst you, not just the people of Israel. Now, because Easter, or properly the Passover celebration, is a movable date determined by the lunar calendar, so not our Gregorian calendar that we're used to today, Pentecost is also movable, as it's celebrated on the 50th day after the Passover, and is one of the three feasts in the Old Testament that the Jews have to honour for all time. In other words, it's a feast that they say, this is set for all time. You must celebrate this ongoing. Because the feast was seven weeks after the Passover, it's also known as a festival of weeks, as well as the harvest festival. So it can get a bit confusing. It has a number of names. In later years, it became known in its Greek form as Pentecost. Now, this festival is meaningful because the counting of seven weeks and then adding a day, making 50, would remind the Hebrew minds of something. It would remind them of the year of Jubilee 
another celebration that's in the Levitical law, the 50th year. Now, this was a special year of resetting boundaries, sharing out riches, making everything equal and equal and even again, and significantly the freeing of slaves. You can read all about this in Leviticus 25. We haven't got time to go into it now, but look at Leviticus 25 and read about this special year that God appoints, this 50th year, this year of Jubilee. And it was all encompassing. Just like the feast of the festival harvest, men, women, orphans, widows, and foreigners were all included in the instruction. See, I can't help but make the connection between this event in the Jewish mind. Because look at what happened and what's characterized by the early church. They shared everything they had. Acts 2.45 defined the early church. They sold their property and possessions and they shared their proceeds with the needy. The orphans and widows were also high on Jesus' agenda. In fact, his instructions to his disciples, instructions to the church often is, look after the orphans and the widows amongst you. So what brought about this revolution? What underpinned the entire fabric of the early church? Why was today so special? Well, actually, it's the Holy Spirit, and it's totally unavoidable. You can't get away from the impact and the change that the Holy Spirit makes upon these believers. And we see it all the way through Acts. In fact, Peter calls this the fulfillment of Joel 2. He says this is what God meant when he said, and I'll read it, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. This event, Peter links directly back to prophecies given to Israel in these days. And that's important. We'll come back to that in a minute. At every twist and turn throughout our journey, We've been met with the phrase, phrases such as by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and even stopped by the Spirit. Before the Holy Spirit fell on those waiting, they have been timid, frightened individuals, devastated by the death of Jesus, hardened by his subsequent resurrection, and then bewildered as Jesus left them again. But he left them with an instruction to wait for something else. Now, I don't know about you, but this lockdown has had its ups and downs. But if you are like me, you'll also be eagerly awaiting to get back together again and do church again. But I'm being challenged on this. I don't think it's meant to be as it always was. The disciples and the early believers were not the same again after their lockdown. They, don't, they didn't do church the same way as they came down from that upper room. The rules of engagement are totally changed. And it was a new beginning, a new church, a new thing that was developing in front of them. And they were at the forefront of that. They were, they were just being obedient and the change was happening. They were different. They were transformed. They were bold and they were powerful. Why? Well, because they'd simply 
obeyed Jesus' instruction to wait for the promise. And then once the Holy Spirit descended fully upon them, they turned the world upside down. They were completely and utterly engaged and different. So how are we going to come out of lockdown? Are we longing just to return to normal, back to what is natural and our normal selves? Or would we rather be supernatural, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us into what God has promised us that we will be? We can wait for heaven and eternity, where we will become everything that God intends for us, when all of his promises are made right, when we enter into the fullness of the promise and the rest that's been promised to us. But I think the early church has something of the internal with them from that point on. When they stepped out in the power of the Holy Spirit, it was almost like they, they reached out in time and brought some of heaven back into their existence. Do we long to see signs and wonders accompanying us as we talk to others, as we faithfully are obedient to calling or to the calling that God has placed on our lives? He has given Jesus to be a role model of how we can overcome in this world. And now God has placed within us the Holy Spirit to teach us, lead us, correct us, help us, and empower us. So what's our role as a church today? And more importantly, how do we accomplish it? Now, I've started to explain our vision and thinking, and you can pick up the main points of this on the website if you haven't seen it already. But I've stated that one of our desires is that we are transformational, to see the power of Jesus transforming lives. Now, not only as people come to faith, because obviously that is the transform, transforming that we want to see, so not only as people come to faith in Jesus as their saviour, but also as we are transformed more and more into his likeness as the Holy Spirit works through us. You see, it's a promise and it comes in scripture. Galatians 6.15, it doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle, for they are the new people of God. So what counts is whether we have been transformed into new creations. We shouldn't be saying the same. And what about this from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 to 18? So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation so we you are christ's ambassadors god is making his appeal through us we speak for christ when we plead come back to god for god made christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with god through christ 
Isn't that a principle that we should long to see played out in our church today? I'm really encouraged when I see people changing, as I'm sure all of you are. But let's make no mistake here. We are not the finished articles by any means. Some are more refined than others. Some are further down the path. But we all have a common starting ground that carries within it a beautiful promise. If we acknowledge Jesus as Savior, then we can be certain that God who began a good work in you will continue until it is finally finished when Christ Jesus returns. Philippians 1 verse 6. The work that God has started in you, he is good and able to finish. So wherever we are on that sliding line, if you like, or that upward line of change, we've all come from the same point, a point of not knowing Jesus, and we start with the promise that when we make that decision for Jesus, the promises are true in your life, regardless of where you then allow the changes to work out. See, I want us to have our focus on eternity and the heavenly. But surely we are charged with bringing a taste of heaven into our present day reality and situations. It is, after all, what the disciples and the believers in the early church did. I've said it before, but it's worth stating again. We're in the same age as the early church. There is nothing else to look for apart from the return of Jesus. We saw it last week when we finished Acts. We continue the journey as the torchbearers. The baton is in our hands. So I want us to be passionate as we live our lives. We're God's image bearers in this age. We are designed and made in his image. We have emotions and creative thinking within us. It's what sets us apart. God the creator hates sin. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and cried in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit abounds in joy. Don't you get fed up when God is painted as a boring, heartless and distant figure? He's a life giver. He showers grace on us that we don't merit. God has emotions that are so integral to him that actually he's known by them. God is love. So I'm excited. I was speaking to Mark, who you know from work, a couple of weeks ago. And within seconds of me phoning up just to see how he was and just to catch up a little bit, within seconds, the subject was church. How church works in the current situation. What Mark has seen us doing. Within seconds, that was the topic of conversation, and that's where it stayed. What Jesus is doing now, what the church is doing now. We've shown you this morning that we're carrying out work on the church building, as you're aware. But it's not so that we can just return to, back, to being back to normal. The statement even has the word back in it. We don't want to be going back. We want and should desire to be moving forward, becoming something, not reverting back into something. I want the Spirit to empower our lives, our words, our actions, everything. Let nothing we do 
the outside of the leading of God's Spirit, who will lead us in all truth. John 16, verse 13. Next week, we're going to do things a little bit different. Next week, next week, I want us to share together what God has been showing you. Now, that might sound scary, but a few weeks ago, I took a step off a cliff. I spoke some words over someone I knew nothing about. I felt God stir a memory in me that was to be shared to this young man. My memory was of losing my parents. You know when you go on holiday and you're walking in a crowd and there's a child you're holding onto your father's hand in a crowd and, for the, and we probably all experience this emotion. Suddenly you lose contact. And as a small kid, I remember vividly this memory of kind of being stuck in a crowd in Blackpool. I lost hold of my dad's hand. I wasn't able to see him through the forest of what I thought was trees, but they were just legs. And I was so small, I was just looking at this crowd of legs around me. I wasn't able to see my dad. I was overwhelmed by the crowd. But all the time, my dad knew where I was. I was trying to get to me. It felt like ages before the bodies parted and I found myself looking into my dad's face again, safe and sound. So I took the plunge. I shared this story with this young man and allowed the spirit to do its work. And that's important. It's the spirit that does the work. This young man, to my surprise, could identify with the memory. Not because he'd experienced it as a young child, but because, he, but because he was going through just that right now, right that second in the lockdown situation. He was unable to get to his father, who had been, who he had so much that he needed to tell him. They'd been through a lot of life history and he needed to get to him and he couldn't get to him because of the lockdown. The story gave him a hope and a reassurance that he would be able to eventually see his father and put things right. So God spoke directly into his heart using my memories, instilled by the Spirit, given out to somebody and encouraged them right there, right then. The lockdown had created an anxiety and a fear for him. But God knew this and had a desire to tackle it and bring encouragement. And it just so happened that he used me. Now, I didn't know the circumstances, nor did I have a desire to interfere. I simply was obedient to how the Spirit was leading me. Now, on Wednesday, we met together as a home group. And I was sharing some of this, a little bit about what I would like people to, to share, things that are just laid on their heart in that instant, and not be scared about what people might think about it because God knows what we need to hear. And Debbie Clayton said, I've got something I want to read. So, and it was just the notes, the notations out of a study Bible, but it was something that she felt was encouraging for her that she wanted to share. So we shared it amongst the house group. So I asked, I asked her if she would share it with us today. So it might, so Debbie, I don't know. Really, hopefully, you can, you're on screen and you can and, and you can be heard. But Debbie, could you just share what you shared on Wednesday, 
Yes, well, we've just been through, as you say, the last of the last year, we were going through Acts. So I was reading Acts 28. Um, and God wrote a timeless book that's just relevant, relevant to life today, even though it was written thousands of years ago. And this was, um, as I say, at the end of Acts 28, it's with regards to being unhindered. So 28 to 31, verse 28 to 31, Paul could have allowed innumerable obstacles to hinder his preaching, persecution, imprisonment, even shipwreck at sea. Yet he didn't let anything stop him, not even incarceration in Rome. Instead of worrying about his upcoming trial and his confinement to his rented house, Paul boldly proclaimed Jesus without hindrance. And this is what really just touched me. Perhaps being confined to one location <clears throat> or being imprisoned by insecurities has left you feeling unable to share your faith. Take a lesson from Paul in any situation even imprisonment, you can boldly share the gospel with people and some will listen. God is unhindered and can, even, can use even the most restricted circumstances to spread his word. And this is just so, as I say, it's like, you know, it's timeless, the Bible. This is so relevant today and the situation that we're all in. I just felt I needed to read it. Thank you, Debbie. Yeah. See, I know how hard that is to Debbie to do that. But I also know the good that it does. And I'm hoping that it's done you all good as well. Seeing somebody step out of their norm and do something that is not them. But do it because it's an encouragement. Doing it because they know that that word, that encouragement might speak to your heart. You know what? Paul did that all the time. When you look through our journey through Acts, Paul spoke into situations. Peter spoke into situations. The apostles spoke into situations that the Spirit revealed to them. I stepped off a cliff a few weeks ago. It's the same today. It doesn't change. Somehow we've kind of taken it and said, no, no, we don't want that now. That was for then and it isn't for now. I think we've demonstrated enough that what happened in that early church is the same age that we exist in now. And if you don't believe that, read the words of Joel, who Peter links directly to being a fulfillment in this age. And the only thing that happens after that pronouncement of Joel is Jesus coming again, the Savior coming again. And up until that point, young men will prophesy, dream dreams, etc., etc. Listen to Jesus' words in John 16. We, we took a passage of it a little bit earlier, but let me read it in its entirety. John 16, 5 to 15. This is Jesus' words to his disciples. Now I am going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I go away then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. 
The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Even Jesus there links it from, from the point of giving to the end until the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will, become, will come because the rule of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what, what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. See how linked all this is. All that belongs to the Father is mine, which is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Nothing that the Holy Spirit does is in disobedience to God's character or Jesus' words. Nothing. They are one and the same. I want us to be encouraged as we step out boldly and live a life that proclaims Jesus. I said it a year ago today. I said this, I said a warning. A life not led by the Spirit is an empty one. Words without the Spirit are empty and lifeless. Let us do everything in and through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee of eternity set within us. And here's what our journey through Acts has taught us. When the Spirit fell on the apostles and the believers, they became bold in proclaiming Jesus. They suffered for it. They were martyred for it. They didn't waver them. Didn't stop them. Stephen, stoned to death. Peter, crucified upside down. James, beheaded. And so on and so on. But here's an encouraging quote from Charles Colson. Now, Charles Colson was one, well, you may have heard his name already, but he was one of President Nixon's inner circle. President Nixon, famous for the Watergate scandal. And this guy was heavily embroiled in all of the deceit and lies that were happening around Watergate. In fact, he was one of the first people that was convicted and jailed for his role in it. But Charles became a Christian. And he is characterized today by this quote. This is him saying, I know that the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. And then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured it if it was not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they could not keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. As we spend time this morning, I want us to reach out. I want us to step out. And I want us to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in all truth. The truth is in you. And God's desire is to use his church to demonstrate his sovereignty 
and his power. Will you be an instrument? Will you allow God to work through you? And here's something I'd like to add. Don't be afraid to fail. No one does anything without trying. That old adage when you're riding a bike, what's the instruction that your parent gives to you? You fall off, get back on and try again. Don't be afraid to fail. It's something that I've had to learn because we will fail from time to time. But that failure is not failure. It doesn't mean we're written off. It just means we go again. We try again. And we must cultivate a culture where we're allowed to fail. That we don't criticize, that we don't jump on people because they've stepped out and they got it wrong. We will never hear God's leading unless we step out. So let's be bold and let's step out. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.